Hey, happy Friday, everybody. This is Mining Stock Daily with your host, Trevor Hall. Glad you could join us this Friday for an in-depth interview. We've actually got three three interviews that we are going to run back to back to back today. Pretty pretty lengthy episode today, but uh, there was a lot going on and a lot of updates that we wanted to share. Not only do we talk to Craig Hemke with TF Metals uh, regarding gold, silver, and some of the mining ETFs, stocks that uh, basically breaking long resistance from seven years back. So that's an important one to hear. We go pretty long with Craig. It's an excellent conversation. We actually had such a good conversation. We weren't even able, able to speak about or talk about everything we wanted to originally talk about. Uh, we then have corporate updates from both the CEOs of Western Copper and Gold and Eclipse Gold. And Eclipse has got a uh, about halfway through their initial drilling program on the Hercules project there in Nevada. So a lot of eyes and people hoping for a discovery there. So we've got an update with Mike Allen, Eclipse Gold at the end of it. So we would like to thank all of our sponsors. Mining Stock Daily is happy to be supported by Integra Resources, Corvus Gold, and Western Copper and Gold, along with a number of other corporate sponsors uh, from throughout the junior mining and exploration sector. You can find a list of all those on our website, miningstockdaily.com. So we're going to get right into it because it is kind of a lengthy episode, as I mentioned. First off, here's my discussion with Craig Hemke, and then we'll be talking to Paul Westsells and Michael Allen at the end. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Please wash those hands. And welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall bringing you Friday morning's in-depth interview. We have a series of interviews for this Friday, but we are going to start out with our friend Craig Hemke from TF Metals Report. Craig, based in the uh, Midwest out of Kansas City. Craig, it's good to speak with you once again. I hope this finds you well. And, uh, you know, optimistically, spring has sprung, and it looks like we're into warmer weather now. Well, you're right about that, Trevor, and it's always a pleasure to visit with you. So uh, thanks for giving me a ring. Um, It has been a very interesting week with, again, down early in the week and then uh, rallying here late into the week. And it's going to be very interesting now to watch what happens uh, next week as we uh, head toward the uh, expiration of the May 20 silver options. The May 20 contract goes off the board. We're seeing a big ramp up in the non-delivery month of May gold. And uh, boy, it, uh, next week's going to be a real wild card. I can't wait to see what happens. Right, so we are going to cover those topics here and then a couple of other things, Craig. But let's do start out with gold. Uh, we started the week knowing that there was going to be some sort of little pullback and correction that was going to be healthy. The pullback really did not last very long. Uh, we saw, oh my goodness, one Red pullback day, but immediately on Wednesday, bounced straight back up. Uh, we are recording this Thursday morning where gold futures basis is well above 1750. Um, you know, it's this is really healthy gold gold bull market. Uh, give us your thoughts of where we go from here and if uh, we continue to go up before we pull back a little bit more. Well, there's, there's two dynamics at present. Um, the bearish dynamic, if you will, that's kind of restraining things and really the only thing that's restraining things and particularly in silver, it seems to be having an impact are short term, very short term, positive real interest rates, which are inflation adjusted interest rates that negative real interest rates 
are an extremely strong fundamental for both gold and silver. And at present, just in the you know very short term here, you know, with with uh, the economy collapsing and nobody working and uh, crude oil prices down seventy percent, you know, all that kind of stuff, we're in a period where even with uh, just a sixty basis point yield on the ten year note, with general deflation in prices going along, you've got positive real returns on that ten year note, and that's kind of a fun fundamentally bearish in a way. Um, but it's being overridden by the massive, fundamentally bullish money printing and the realization that's kind of sweeping the planet, not just among you know people like you and I, Trevor, but like institutions now, uh, hedge funds, uh, money managers, uh, hedge fund, you know, pension funds, the like. They're like, holy cow, those crazy gold bug people were right. The, the only re- final resort that the central banks have is to just print and print and print and print and print. We got to get got to get some gold. We got to get some mining shares. We got to get all this stuff. And so, uh, on on regular days, we kind of get this yin and yang of the uh, positive real interest rates holding things back, but then you know this overwhelming demand pushing things up. Eventually, though, we're going to head into where uh, in negative real interest rates return, where we get into kind of a stagflation, inflation environment in the months ahead. And then you don't have that short-term drag anymore. When you look at price, uh, man, I just, on the daily chart, I'd invite anybody to, to pull this up for themselves. Uh, one, the gold came down, uh, bounced off its 50-day moving average, rallied, then fell, plunged through its 50-day moving average, and then rallied all the way back up from 1460 to about 1700, and then fell again, tested its 50-day moving average, and, and then has since soared. There's almost a textbook reverse head and shoulder pattern on that chart once we blew through 1700 we went to 1788 and then pulled back earlier this week to near 1700 and used it as support and now we're rallying again boy boy i tell you trevor uh we get above that high from april 14th of 1788 and if we close above there on a daily basis a weekly basis um, price should then rapidly move back toward the old all-time dollar price highs from September of, uh, of uh, 2011. We've seen it already break out to all-time highs in about every other uh, foreign currency, uh, even in SDRs, gold's at all-time highs. And so, I mean, it's logic would tell you it's going to get there in dollars too. I think looking at this chart, Craig, we could fundamentally get up to $1,800 gold on the futures basis without necessarily needing some sort of event outside of the business to get it moving. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just this recognition. Uh, there's just a constant bid for gold in all its forms. That's something I've been talking about now for a couple of years because it's not just physical gold that is always, you know, which is always the best and the prefer, you know, preferred way of owning it. But I mean, the investment world wants to own ETFs. We're seeing the highest, uh, GLD stated inventory in seven years. Uh, the investment world wants to own all- unallocated accounts. It wants to own gold futures contracts. It wants to own promissory notes. It wants to own uh, mining shares. And as that global asset allocation shifts to the precious metal sector, that may have been a lengthy list I rattled off, but it's not a whole lot of different investment possibilities, investment opportunities. So you get this big wad of cash coming into the sector looking for places to invest and there's just not that many 
Right. You know, and so then you get, a, you know, it's just kind of econ 101. You get a whole bunch of cash chasing a finite amount of investment opportunities and everything goes up. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, Craig, you did mention the ETF. So let's talk specifically about the major gold mining ETF, and that's the GDX. I mean, it, it's been known for a number of months here that that $32 mark, and you can get really technical, maybe it's $32.25 yep. price. That's going to be a seven-year high. And that's a major accomplishment for the GDX. And a lot of people think that you get a weekly close above that point. And again, we're recording this Thursday morning. And unless something crazy happens, it looks like that potentially is going to happen. You know, let, let's see, let, we will see how this plays out uh, Friday after the close. But after a weekly close above that 32, 32.25 area, we're going to see a lot of big money coming back into gold mining shares. But we've already seen the miners move up. In the last couple of weeks. So is there a bigger move ahead for this if we do close at that market? Well, give me your thoughts here, Craig. Add that to the list, Trevor, of uh, you know bullish factors that are getting noticed and drawing in cash. You know, I, I'll give you another one before I get to the GDX specifically. Newmont yesterday, Newmont Mining. I mean, it's one of the biggest mining companies in the world. Increased their dividend to a dollar a share per year, 25 cents a quarter. Well, that's about one and a half percent based off today's share price. Well, geez, Louise, uh, here's a sector where they're increasing dividends, uh, increasing earnings dramatically, as not only is the price going up, but the input cost of crude oil and energy is going down, so earnings are soaring. What other sector anywhere in global equities at this point is increasing earnings and dividends? No well, place. We have, we have other mid-tier companies that are starting to give out dividends right. for the first time. Right. So what other sector? Technology? Retail? I mean, there, there, there are no other sector in the stock market that is doing this. And so money managers notice that. They'll also notice that chart, as you said, of the GDX. Yeah, to the specifics. Um, on April the 12th, 2013, we're in the midst of a smash that, that broke long-term support in both gold and silver. Gold was down $200 in two days of the April 12th, which was a Friday, and then Monday, April 15th, 2013. Uh, silver fell four bucks over those two days. It was brutal, just awful. Took out about 15, 25 supporting gold and $26 in silver. Um, that closing on of GDX on that Friday, April the 12th, was, as you said, 3222. Uh, the GDX hasn't even traded above that level in the seven years since until yesterday, yeah. uh, Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. Now, Hey, like you said, as we record this, there's still a half of a day on Thursday and all of the day Friday for gold to get smashed and the metals be driven backward and not close above that level. But that level is important. Um, people, if, if you know, that listen to things I've said over the last several months, we, we point out all through last year and in early this year that the key breakout level in gold was above 1550 on a weekly closing basis, because that had on a weekly closing basis held a support that whole time up until that week in April of 2013. Once we got above 1550, we soared, came back, tested it, and now what are we, 1750? The GDX will be the same way. A weekly close north of 32, let's just call it 32 and a quarter, uh, sets us up for a move to 40. Hmm. So that's another mm, 25%. Yeah. Like well, you. You and I were chatting before we press record, Craig, and we talked about, you know, what, if there's anything that could maybe cause this GDX and the gold to pull back. And you talked about how the 
the banks, specifically the COMEX, even with this big move higher in gold, in recent months, they would match moves in gold with with adding shorts. But right. they seem to be reluctant to do that now. So as we approach tomorrow and Friday morning, we there's a lot of wind to our back right now. Yeah, there is. And it, this is a real significant thing, what's going on in the COMEX. I mean, it's been well documented. Dave Kranzler has been all over this, too, with uh, the amount of gold standing for delivery in the April contract is has been now about 3.1 million ounces, 31,000 contracts, about three times more than normal, if you want to call it that. And it's because the the mines are, you know, so many mines are shut down around the world and so many refineries have been shut down around the world. And there seems to be, you don't listen to what they say because they lie all the time. They're like politicians, these bankers and the, and the LBMA. You watch what they do and they are scrambling, brother. Uh, to try to keep the system afloat because if they get a delivery default, which is basically what they had back on March 24th, they were caught with their pants down, not having any COMEX 100 ounce bars available. So they've been scrambling ever since to patch things together and give the appearance at all as well. Lying through their teeth, talking about 8,000 metric tons in London that's available for bullshit. That's not available. Two thir- three quarters of that is the Bank of England's gold. And another, you know, a big another chunk of it is ETF gold. There's no 8,000 tons. I mean, but they're just lying. So you don't watch, you don't listen to what they say. You watch what they do. And one of the things that they are doing or not doing is adding open interest on the COMEX. And we're finally getting a, a, a place in, on a COMEX where it should be, like, a, like an equity exchange where price rises or falls for that matter to the point where buyers or sellers of existing contracts emerge. The way it's always been, you get a bunch of demand for COMEX gold and the banks just issue, you know, a whole bunch of new contracts and price goes nowhere. But that's not what it's been lately. And then you can see this on the, for example, the commitment of traders reports. I've just got a couple I've pulled up here just out of the blue from just even earlier this year, first week of this year. Gold was up $18 during the commitment of traders reporting week of the first week of the year, $18. Open interest was up 37,000 contracts or about 5%. Here's another one for you. This is from back around Valentine's Day. That week, gold was up $34, so 2%. Open interest was up 57,000 contracts, okay, like 8% in a week. Last week, gold was up $84. Open interest was up 9,900 contracts. Hmm. Okay, barely 2%. The week before that, gold was up $85. Open interest fell by 15000 So it, it seems as if, and you're seeing this in silver too. Uh, it, they go back to that week around that I mentioned around Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. That very same week in silver, not only was gold up, as I said, uh, $34. Silver was up $0.55 cents that week. Silver open interest up 16,000 contracts. Okay, like eh, 7%. Last week, silver was up 91 cents. Open interest was up 4,000 contracts. So there's, I mean, I, I can't imagine that, there, you know, we don't have demand from the hedge funds and the institutions and the like looking for gold exposure through COMEX contracts. But what's happening is the demand is being met. You have to find existing sellers of existing contracts rather than the banks just flooding in new obligation. And what is when the banks take a short by flooding in new contracts, you know, what's a short on a futures contract? It's basically a promise of future delivery. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you're buying along, you're indicating that you have an interest in taking delivery. Well, for time immemorial, nobody ever takes delivery and the banks never have to make delivery. So who cares? Now, all of a sudden, as I said, we've got 31,000 contracts that have stood so far in, in uh, April, three times the usual amount. And it seems as if the banks are uh, reticent to uh, supply more contracts because they don't want to get on the hook to deliver more if, if things get out of control. Oh, they're already in the sink. If Even if a fraction of those contracts do stand for delivery, Craig, they're in right. a lot of trouble. Just yeah, they fraction, are. It's not going to take much. No, it, it won't. And it's, a, look, uh, it sounds crazy. And, you know, it sounds like some kind of, you know, uh, gold bug fantasy land or something. Uh, but what we saw in crude oil uh, earlier this week, where the front month of May was going off the board and into delivery, uh, which means if you still are long a May contract of crude oil as of the close back on uh, Tuesday of this week, you were you had to have 100% margin in your account to show you were able to take delivery. And if you were still long, you could have delivery put to you of crude oil. And the problem was there was no place to put it. The delivery mechanism for NYMEX crude oil is is, uh, delivery in Cushing, Oklahoma, and there was no place to store it there. Everything's full because there's no demand for it. And so you had people uh, or entities that were still long the May crude oil contract on Monday that wanted to sell it. If you're going to sell it, you need a buyer. You need somebody there that, you know, wants to take the other side. Somebody wants to maybe cover a short, you know, and buy it back. And there were none. I mean, so the thing basically went bidless. And that's how you ended up with a negative $40 price with a whole other story. And and, and, and I think June might be able to see the same thing if we're not careful. That's what that's what then we saw on Tuesday that people in June went, holy cow, I I don't want that to happen to me. And everybody rushed. I mean, that June went from twenty two dollars to six dollars yeah. in the course of a day. Well, anyway, the opposite side of that is what we may eventually actually get to in in uh, gold and silver, too. But it's the opposite. It's everybody and their brother wanting delivery. The banks having made all these promises and on all this hyper leverage and loan the same ounces out, you know, 50 times, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, you've got everybody buying contracts going into delivery and nobody wanting to sell. And the bank's not selling because they don't have any to supply. Then all of a sudden, you get a, an offerless market and the opposite happens of what we saw in crude oil. It's a, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen in June. Um, but I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities the way things are going. Craig, I, I had a couple other questions for you, but I actually kind of want to turn off, turn from there. Okay. And, um, it, it just makes me think, you know, people like you who've been preaching this for years, um, and I'm relatively new to this space. I don't have nearly the experience or the, uh, mindset or, um, you know, the resources that you have to come up and share these numbers. And if you gave me a COT report, I could maybe, uh, (laughs) I would need a crutch to make sense of it all. Um, but you know, gold bugs and people that have been following this have been, you know, proclaiming this for years. And we take a lot of heat for, you know, saying, well, this is just crazy. Like it's never going to come to that. It's just, it's, it has no value. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a relic. It doesn't mean anything. But now it seems like we're on this the verge of, you know, if you say something long enough, eventually it does come true. 
and we're on the cusp of that happening. But what we really have to do, Craig, is take these quote unquote theories, conspiracy theories, which are no longer conspiracies, and start explaining them to a common person to get this thing to really grasp hold, not only to prove ourselves right, but also to help other people protect themselves and their own wealth. Yep, absolutely. How do we do that? I mean, we've been trying to do it for dozens of years. All we've been given is a title of called crazy, but now we're not necessarily crazy. Like this is this is legitimately happening, and we have to do our best to explain this to other people outside of this precious metals industry. How do we do that? I, you know, that's been the challenge. That's what I've been trying to do now for ten years. And one, there's an unwillingness to listen. I mean, there's kind of a normalcy bias, not only of you know your next door neighbor who maybe just doesn't understand it anyway, but then also seems to think that tomorrow is always going to be just like yesterday. Then you've got the whole financial services and securities industry that hates gold because they can't charge fees on it, right? And their beaks are dipped in the trough of constant money creation and you know the banks and you know, everything else. And so they're not going to go for it either. And so it's it the really the only way through this is through physical demand. Uh, getting people at all levels, your neighbor, uh, all the way up to hedge funds and, and uh, you know, like the Stan Druckenmiller type people who say they own gold, but they own the GLD. No, Stan, you don't own Jack, man. You got to go get the real thing. You get enough of those people, including, you know, your neighbor to go get the real thing. Then the thing collapses because it's so hyper overextended, you know, leveraged. And then at that point, unfortunately, the only people that will have protected themselves and even profited through it will be those that didn't have that normalcy bias. And I can just tell you from 10 years of doing this, it's almost impossible to overcome, um, to just to tell people and get them go, Oh yeah. It's like, do you remember, um, uh, if you go back, uh, Mike Maloney did a thing five or six years ago, it's on his YouTube channel, I'm sure someplace, about how money cash, fiat cash, is actually created in the U.S. Mm-hmm. How do you, where does it come from? It's the simplest explanation. It tells you how it works. But if you go ask, again, your neighbor, hey, where does money come from? Well, I don't know. The uh, government makes it. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not how it works. So again, it, it's it, when people don't even grasp that, pretty hard to get them to grasp, you know, how a fraudulent fractional reserve pricing scheme is screwing everybody that, that owns gold. It's just, it's hard to do. Well, Craig, there's a couple of different topics that we didn't get to, and uh, we've gone. We've gone. <laughs> well, if you want, I can give you a couple more minutes if you want. Go on, I want to go one more. Lay it on me. Okay, let's. Okay, one more. I, I did want to ask you about the Fed, but you know what? You and I can connect another time, and things might be different. And new announcements here in the coming weeks, so we we will table that discussion for another time. Uh, we talked a lot about gold. Let's talk about silver real quick. And you mentioned it earlier in this conversation. Silver's having a really, really hard time busting above and closing above that 50-day moving average. It's technically still in a downtrend. However, however, silver, SIL, the silver ETF, is in an uptrend. It's moving just as high. It's moving along with like the GDX. So there's a divergence between the physical metal and also the miners. And, uh, you know, even the silver miners are getting a bid right now. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, it really is odd. 
Um, and we're seeing, remember uh, what happened as this gold thing really blew up a month ago, is the spread between the front month future contract, which at the time was the April, it's now in delivery, versus spot, blew out to like $75. Um, in the weeks, the time since, the June contract, which is now the front month, blew out to as high as $65. Um, okay, that because of everything, all the shenanigans going on in gold. But do you know that as we speak, that percentage difference spread is actually higher in May, in the May silver versus um, uh, spot, which tells me it's the same kind of situation, obviously, uh, where you know there's shortages and people not believing the COMEX and not trusting the COMEX to actually deliver 5,000 uh, 5, ounces per contract, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, price is just not doing jack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. You mentioned the 50 day moving average. I mentioned gold on the, it's daily chart bouncing off the 50 day one last time and then rocketing higher to where it is now. Shortly after that, the GDX moved up, banged up against its 50 day for three days at about 26. And then now it's what? 33, 34. The GDXJ came up, banged up against its 50 day for two days. Blew through, came back, tested again, and now it's 40-something. Silver, for the last two weeks, <laughs> you just can't even get above its 50-day. I know. With all these other things going on. You know, I, there's going to be um, a, a, a kind of a violent move at some point again in silver. I, you know, when uh, if you go back to QE 1 and 2 and every, you know, all those days we remember from 2010 to 11, everybody knows that silver went from, uh, what, $20 down to 8 and then back up into the teens and basically stayed in the teens all the way through the summer of 2010. Uh, QE 1 had been announced. QE 2 wasn't there yet, didn't come out yet. But by August 2010, silver was still just $17 or $18 an ounce. It was only between once QE2 was announced and there were all these fears of hyperinflation. Uh, everybody was talking about Weimar back then, just as they're beginning to talk about it again now. Um, that's when silver went from 18 to 48 in eight months. That that potential is there to do it again. I'm, I mean, I'm, please don't put a headline on this. Craig Hemke <laughs> says silver's going to 48. People will do that and it drives me crazy. Um but that potential is there to do. I mean, because at some point it's the substitution effect, right? I mean, steak is twenty bucks a pound, so I'm going to get a hamburger. You know, people look at that and they go, well, "Damn, gold's eighteen hundred dollars an ounce, uh, but I can buy hundred and twenty ounces of silver." Well, theoretically, you can on the Comex price. Um, I want some of that instead. And 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 I mentioned an important point. Uh, yeah, the we're talking about the Comex price and the fifty-day moving average and all that, you know, crapola. You can't find on eBay or at any of the bullion dealers, you can't buy silver for $16. Nowhere. So what's no. really the price? Is it 24, 25, 26 like on eBay? Or is it 16, 15? I mean, that's that's a question that needs to be pondered too. Right. Well, Craig, I, I took that silver chart. I pulled it back to the weekly. If there is a silver lining uh late thursday morning there does seem to be a bullish hammer being formed after a downtrend last week good so maybe maybe next week we'll bring something new and sometimes with these metals it's it's best to pull back and look at longer charts yeah not go day to day but i thought actually and i looked at the same thing if you look at the, the daily chart 
there's kind of this intraday chart from the last week or so. There's like this dome. Uh, it's like a, a head a head and shoulder in a way, but like with two extra shoulders lower. Yeah. It's got like five peaks and a dome. And it came <laughs> all the way back down to that where that dome started at 1480 or something. I mean, it looks like it won. And we're heading into this uh, contract going off the board. All the things that ramped up gold a month ago. Uh, are now coming into silver as uh, the May contract goes off the board in delivery. So maybe, you know, we get COMEX options to expire on Tuesday. That's always something that seems to be gamed and prices restrained because, you know, it's the banks that write all the options. Uh, maybe we get Tuesday behind us next week and then maybe silver will rush to catch up. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Hey, Craig, that was a great conversation. You know, you and I have some great conversations. That was probably one of the best. I'm glad we could share it with our listeners. Thank you so much. Have yourself a great weekend, and uh, we'll see what Tuesday happens. Huh? Yeah, let's see. Thank you, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Uh, stay healthy. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. Once again, this is Trevor Hall. I am joined today with Paul West Sells, who is the CEO of Western Copper and Gold. Western Copper and Gold trades on the TSX and the NYSE with the symbol WRN. Western Copper and Gold is developing the casino project up in the Yukon. And Paul, we've spoken with you a lot over the last year and a half, so it's good to join you once again. And, uh, you know, today I thought we'd spend a little bit of time specifically talking about copper. Uh, gold certainly is having its uh, its uh, moment in the sun here as it continues to move. Uh, copper, on the other hand, can, is continues to struggle uh, currently with the uh, basically a supply and demand issue. So I thought I'd get your uh, get your insights here on the supply issue because I know you are a metallurgist by trade, and I just want to see if you could share with our listeners uh, kind of the recent developments with supply of copper uh, since the COVID crisis. Sure. Well, and, and and first of all, it's it's great to be back talking to you, Trevor. And and uh, yeah, we we always usually have a a good conversation here. And yeah, you know, obviously the story has been gold. And and as uh, you know, you and your listeners know, our large casino project is is a copper gold project. Um, and right now, it's it's a gold copper project just because of where the commodity prices are. But there's still a lot of copper there, so I'm I'm more than happy to talk about the copper market. And it's sort of it's it's interesting, you know. I've been following the price of copper, and and it sort of did what you, a lot of things did in that it pulled way back, and then it sort of has kind of slow sort of rebound here. Uh, you know, it pulled back to I think about 320 a pound, and last time I looked at it, it was sort of 335 and, you know, and that was up from sort of 330. So it's sort of doing this slow comeback. And, and I really, there's, there's a couple of things that I'm really watching here. Um, one 
one on the supply side and one on the demand side. Uh, on the supply side, uh, you, you know, before COVID hit, everybody was talking about the supply uh, issues with copper just because there wasn't, a, there hadn't been a lot, lot of new mines come online in the past decade, to be honest. And, and so that's what was driving the price of copper up. Well, now, of course, what's happened since then, just in terms of the supply side, is that you've had a whole bunch of mines close. So you've got, uh, you know, places like Mexico where mining was not declared an essential service, and so mines have had to close. You've, you've had uh, a couple of mines that have had COVID outbreaks and have been forced to close, um, and, and so on and so forth. So you're started to see a lot of these, and, you know, keep in mind that, you know, copper is dominated by large mines. So it's different again than than gold in that, you know, if if one gold mine has a an outbreak and has to shut down, it's not going to really disrupt the supply. Whereas there's a few mines. I mean, think of the likes of Escondida, the big uh, BHP mine in in Chile that you know supplies. I can't remember what it is, but it's it's doubled. It's 10 percent or 15 percent of the world's copper. You know, they've got they've had a couple cases there. They haven't shut that down, but they shut that down. And it has a significant impact on the supply of copper. So I've been watching that closely uh, on, on the supply side. And then on the demand side, of course, you know, this is really going to be a, when we come out of it to get economies back going, you're going to start to see infrastructure builds and infrastructure means copper. Uh, Paul, I know you had mentioned the spot price. So we are currently sitting, I'm just looking at the a long-term chart. So we're currently sitting about the uh, $2 and, oh goodness, where did it close today? $2.30 area. Uh, that's U.S. dollars. Uh, you know, back when everything was dropping and there was this fleet of cash, uh, copper did trade down to a multi-year low uh, around just below $2 There's a buck 97. It looks like here on my chart. And that really pushed a wow. bottom that hadn't been seen since uh, January, 2016. But I was interesting to yep. go back even further. So let's go back to the great recession where we saw a big plummet in all the metals uh, before that really took back up. So copper back in um, looks like late 2008 was trading a dollar twenty three, but over a two year time, wow. that thing just moonshot up to uh, four dollars sixty five sixty two cents roughly, and so we're seeing, we're talking yep. a lot of similarities as the economies of of economies similarity to what we saw in two thousand eight two thousand nine, to what we potentially could be going through now, and we know that as infrastructure continues to be of conversation amongst governments that there's going to need base metals such as copper to get that done. Do you think something like that, we could see a potential even bigger run that similar to what we saw from 2009 to 2011 with copper now? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly. I mean, yeah, I, and I had just actually joined Western Copper and Gold uh, when 2008 happened and uh i remember those days uh of uh and i don't rem i mean that low of a dollar 23 i think was fairly short but i remember it sat at the dollar 50 for a long long time and uh yeah and and then you saw it go up to four to four over four dollars and 
So when that happened in the Great Recession, that happened really because China really started to to crank out uh, a lot of well, I mean, China happened, right? It, it went from a, a developing nation to a developed nation as part of that, and, and consumed a lot of copper, and that's what really drove things. But the seeds of what happened there were the same in that you were in this position where you hadn't, you know, a bunch of new copper mines hadn't come online um, and they were sort of being built and coming online at that point in time. But they you had this dearth of supply. So, again, that's what drove up the price. I mean, copper is a very simple metal to understand in that it is completely dominated by supply supply and demand in terms of what drives the price. And, you know, this time it's not necessarily going to be, uh, you know, ch- uh, China that consumes all the new copper. But I think what you're going to see is you're going to see, I mean, how are you going to get, I mean, we're talking all of Europe, all of North America, all of the world. How are you going to restart these economies? And the way that, you know, I mean, the blueprint for this has been established and it's, it's infrastructure spending. And so, I think that's what you're going to see, and that's going to really drive the price of copper up here moving forward. You know, back in the heyday of that 2011 time, Western was trading uh, just north of $4.50 U.S. Pretty amazing to think about, and uh, today it's trading at $0.63. I mean, obviously, lots of fluctuation over the last nine years, Uh, but it does seem like metals and exploration companies have a little bit of wind to their back right now. And, you know, I'm just kind of curious, uh, looking back at what happened 10 years ago, Paul, uh, are you optimistic that potentially a company like Western Copper and Gold, and we just use it to say, make it a symbol of everything else in the industry, uh, maybe could potentially reach another, uh, you know, golden age like we did 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that uh, you know it's it's been interesting to sort of see um, you know what's been happening in the copper space, and of course, you know because we have so much gold, we tend to trade. I feel a little bit differently because we trade with gold as, as well as copper. But uh, I've been looking at my copper peers, and they've got wind at their back here as well. So I mean, I think the idea that uh, this is a good place. I think the other thing is, is that in these times of, of, of uh, you know, volatility, people look for simple things and, 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 and you know, physical sort of things to invest in. And, and obviously uh, mining and, and it's very easy to look at a company like Western and say, you know, you've got 18 million ounces of gold and 10 billion pounds of copper. And if I buy a share of Western, I, I get a fraction of that. And so... I mean, I think that you're going to see, uh, you know, our our share price has, I mean, after going way down, like everything went down, it, it's come back nicely. And we're now sitting at, uh, you know, similar levels to where we started the year at. Um, and, uh, you know, I I was surprised. I mean, one of the things, I just finished the, the World Gold Forum, um, which was an online conference, the first fully online conference I've been to. Uh, and I was I was pleasantly surprised by the number of investors, number one, and the uh, attentiveness and, and how excited they were about you know, what we were doing. And, and it was certainly lots of gold investors, but there were base metals, uh, copper investors as well. Paul, I mean, other than health right now in this epidemic, I mean, when it comes to professional 
um, you know, management of Western Copper and Gold. Uh, what are your concerns lately? Is it uh, access to the site? Uh, is it uh, just making sure all of your staff is is healthy and well? I mean, is it, um, you know, what, what is it? What, what are some of your concerns right now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so our site right now is, is I mean, there's no one at site. Um, I mean, our, the concern right now is, is uh, really what our exploration program this summer looks like. Um, we're, we're happy that we're in the Yukon. The Yukon has been very, uh, the Yukon government has been very clear that they uh, want uh, mining and exploration to continue in the Yukon. Um, uh, they're encouraging people to come up and do exploration programs. And so that's certainly right now our plan, um, but how to do that uh, in a way to protect workers and to ensure that, you know, if there is, uh, you know, any sort of outbreak, you know, how we react to that and, and the programs around that. That's, I would say, you know, COVID-related my number one uh, concern right now is, is, you know, how can we execute that? And so, I mean, we haven't announced a drill program because I'll be honest, we haven't quite figured out how to, to put it all together to absolutely ensure worker safety. Mm. Well, even with such a large project, I mean, it's, um, I guess I find that a little bit surprising. I, what it, with the worker safety, is this mainly even having two or three people on a drill rig in close proximity? That's probably the biggest concern right now. Yeah, well, and and it's and it's a camp, right? Sure, so if sure. you look at, uh, you've got everybody living together, and you know it's not like everyone's got a big bedroom. There, it's relatively cramped quarters, and so and one of the things that's been happening in Canada, uh, not in mining, but in in Alberta, in some of these, uh, you know, in the oil sands and some of the camps around there, they they've had to, you know, once you had an outbreak in these sort of tight quarters, everybody ends up getting it, right? So. Mm-hmm that's one of the things we're looking at is how we can, you know, how could we execute a drill campaign while, you know, improving sort of the social distancing. And it's going to be simple things like maybe there's meals and shifts and, and we, we, you know, see what we can do to, you know, keep things really, really clean and, and uh, you know, just make sure that people aren't that close. But yeah, I mean, the work itself, I mean, People don't need to stand right next to each other. I mean, you're working in drill rig, you get pretty close, but um, that's only two people. That's not sort of 20 people running a drill rig. Did you ever think that you'd have to manage an exploration program and a group of workers on the back of a global pandemic, Paul? <laughs> no, I certainly never did. And, and, uh, um, but you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, I mean, these sort of, I mean, managing these, you know, drill programs and staff, and and in a changing world. I mean, there's been a lot of things that we we've, we've rolled in over the over the past, you know, five ten years. I mean, just from various, you know, the level of safety's gone up. You know, issues around, uh, you know, workplace harassment and all those things. I mean, there's 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 lots of changes in terms of the training and uh, you know, some of the things that need to be done to make sure that people feel safe um, even before this happens. So it's, it's, this is a a unique challenge, of course, but uh, you know, this sort of just, it's been a changing world for a long time. And this is the biggest change I've certainly had to face, Mm -hmm. but 
um, I'm, getting, I'm getting used to <laughs> the bar the, the bar being raised continually. Yeah. Well, Paul, I appreciate your time and your insight here, and best of luck to you this spring. And we'll be sure to share any news out of Western Copper and Gold as uh, your strategies for the remainder of this year are, are shared with your investors and uh, the rest of the junior mining spectrum. So until then, take good care of yourself and your family, and best of luck. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Well, and the same to you. And uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. back here in Mining Stock Daily. And now I am joined by the CEO of Eclipse Gold, Mr. Michael Allen. Eclipse Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the symbol EGLD and now also on the OTC market with EGLPF for all those people trading in the U.S. markets. Uh, Mike, it's a pleasure to speak with you once again. Last time you and I chatted was at PDAC to kind of give an overview of the Hercules project and how uh, you came to acquire that property there uh, just east of Reno, Nevada. Uh, There's been some news uh, that has been released since that initial conversation you and I had, including some drill uh, a drill program that's now underway, and that was announced two weeks ago. So I thought I would uh, take a quick moment and allow you to kind of give us an update as to where that drill program is and when we may expect to see some of those assay results. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back there, Trevor. Um, yeah, we are uh, drilling in uh, in Nevada as, as we we announced. We had a little bit of a of a of a hiccup um, starting the program and. Um, when we delayed it for about a week while we worked with the contractors to come up with a, with a COVID-19 uh, standard operating procedure. But we've successfully completed um, a hitch and a half uh, of, of drilling. So we're about uh, halfway through the program, five, six holes into, into the bag and into the, into the lab. And I would expect to start to see results sort of trickling out um, probably in another two, three weeks. It, uh, it actually, um, the labs in, in Nevada are still busy, so it, which is a good sign, but uh, it's going to be some time before we can get some, some assays out to the market. Uh, it has seen some historic drilling. Um, I think, if I remember the exact numbers, it's 19,790 meters in 251 holes. It works out to be about a 70 meter average. So the, the, it really hasn't been drilled to, to depth at all. And then also, when you look at the the historical data, the the assaying was was incomplete, and the the drilling wasn't really systematic. It was more willy nilly trying to to chase different things, different concepts at the at the time. So we've got a database that was challenging to work with, and so it's pretty much we're being using it as a as a guide, but not nothing more. Okay. And now, so I'm pulling up some of these this information. So there are 550 rock chip samples, uh, yeah. which kind of helped you 
create these targets. It looks like there's five different targets you're kind of going after in this initial initial drill program. Out of those 550 rock chip samples, were those historic samples uh, taken that you had to kind of work through, or were all those uh, chip samples something that you and your team did? Uh, the the 550 is stuff that that we did, uh, and so that and that's that's since we took control of the project in August of last year. Okay, very good. So one of the major targets you are going after is this Hercules target, uh, off of, you know within the Hercules project. Uh, give us an idea of what you're seeing here at Hercules, and if this is one of the targets that is actually complete and maybe one of the first assays to be released. Yeah, we've we've got uh, two holes completed in, into the Hercules target. We're going to put four in, um, and what we've identified there is is the the whole system is a is a large scale epithermal, um, but we've got a potential high grade core at Hercules. Uh, if you look in the news releases, there's a, a few a few samples that that seem to highlight a, a core to the to the project or the to the, the target. It's about 260 meters by 80 meters where there's a, a, a series of surface samples that average about three grams per ton gold. Okay, okay. Uh, I guess one of curious, I know we're kind of in this unprecedented time of this global pandemic. Uh, many of our listeners have probably heard about it, but I was just kind of curious, you know, how much of a challenge has it been for you, the CEO of this company? And I'm sure you love getting your feet on the ground and watching these drill exploration drill programs just kind of get underway and, and seeing the work done. How challenging is this for you to be home in Vancouver, you know, far away from the project? It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, uh, everybody wants to be the, you know, the coach, the quarterback, the, the wide receiver, uh, and, and the, the offensive lineman, you know, in the, in the company, but you really have to, um, as the CEO, you've got to take a step back and be able to, to delegate it. I, I am a geologist by, by background. And so I do like to get out there and, and see things. Um, so, you know, but one of the things that is really nice about what we've done with, with Eclipse is we were able to essentially rebuild the technical team from what, from our previous adventure in Nevada, which was Northern Empire. And so when you look at the people that are on the ground, you know, there's 40 year geos and guys that I've worked with before. And so there's a, a level of trust that you just say, okay, well, I can't be there and I don't need to be there to, 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 to check on that the work is being done, done right. I know that these guys have worked together in the past and the team is gelled and we can, we can execute a program efficiently and, and make sure that, that it's done right. Are a lot of these people based out of Reno or are they, um, how are they commuting to the project? Uh, most of the people are, are based out of, out of Reno. I think everybody is, is driving distance. Um, yeah, the chief geologist he goes home to his own bed every night, which is actually a rarity in the uh, in the mining exploration uh, business. Okay, uh, I kind of had this holistic question for you as well about making another discovery, and obviously, uh, we potentially could be on the verge of you uh, having another discovery, uh, possibly here in the next couple of weeks that could be shared from this Hercules target. I'm just kind of curious, you know, uh, looking back in your previous endeavors and seeing those discovery holes, what makes this one so much different? Um, I think that the, the 
it's the fact that it was hiding in plain sight. Hmm. I mean, literally, you're an hour outside of Reno, and, and it's something that it was, you know, just amazingly obvious once you got there and looked at it. It's like, wow, this is a big gold system, and, and that's probably the biggest uh, thing that is different than anything I've done before. Is it's not, it's not a remote project. It's not a challenging thing to to get to. It's just something that was hiding there and sort of slipped through the cracks for a hundred years. Okay. Uh, once this drilling program, uh, the initial drilling program is complete, Mike, uh, you know, what, what does the company need to do following that? And I know that's a loaded question given everything that's going on. Uh, do you have enough uh, money in the bank to start strategizing and designing another drill program to continue to go after other targets or uh, kind of do some step out to do some, you know, see how big this thing really might be? And have you thought that far? You know, what's the, what's the strategy here? Uh, we, we actually do have a first draft of draft of phase two drilling. Uh, and so we, we've got, we have to wait for the results of, of phase one, but we do have the, the um, thought put together to do a, a phase two. And, and fortunately, we're in a situation where we're capitalized enough to do that phase two. Okay. How much money in the bank do you have now? Uh, four and a half Canadian. Okay. okay. It, seems, it seems adequate enough to do a nice phase two drilling program and get you through the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And do you think uh, it continue to be RC drilling, correct? I mean, we're not going, any, you're not going terribly deep and would necessitate a diamond core drill, would you? I think that at this stage, it's, it's RC. Um, right now, it's gold, no gold, and, and actually just getting a feel for the, for the project. Once we get into things like metallurgical testing and geotechnical, then you'll you'll need to go into uh, it and bring in a, a core rig. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, and I know we we're going to keep this as short as we could and just a quick update on the drilling, uh, but what else do shareholders and uh, potential specul- speculators into Eclipse Gold need to know going forward? Well, I think that... that the the overall look at, at you know the the gold market and 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 what people are, are seeing you know gold is, is right now is very strong and it's a good place for for people to to be in, investing in, and speculating in and then in terms of the of the company i think that I, I would draw everybody's attention you know beyond the project you look at the the board and management of, of the company and, and there's about four and a half billion dollars of, of wealth that's been created you know, from from zero, multiple times, you know, multiple companies that have been created, and so it's a team that that knows how how to execute on the business of mining. All right, Mike, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. No worries. All right, that's Michael Allen. He's the CEO of Eclipse Gold, which trades on the TSX Venture with EGLD and also on the OTC with EGLPF. And I'm happy to share that I am a shareholder of the company. Thank you so much. Have yourself a great weekend. Thanks, Trevor.